morning, good morning, church. How are you? Good? Hey, I'm glad that you guys are here, even with this rain. I don't know about you, I'm actually loving the rain today. It means I don't have to mow my lawn later. I'm, I'm lazy like that. I'm psyched about that. But hey, it's good to see you. Please come on in, grab a seat. If you haven't got a coffee yet, grab one. Uh, it's going to be a good morning to be together, to worship the Lord, to celebrate together as His people. Uh, as we are getting started, I always like to take this time at the front of the service just to highlight a few things going on just so that you're aware of them. So you know, I know whenever you come into church, there's 101 different things happening around you and sometimes it's a little hard to figure out where you can fit in and what's the thing you want to connect with. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to highlight is our women's Bible studies are starting this next week uh, and we have a whole host of options in home and here at the church. So if you want to find out more about those or register, you can get the information here on the bulletin that you got when you came in, stop by our welcome desk, or you can always scan the QR code in front of you. It's a the kind of modern way of doing this. It's really easy. You just hold your camera in front of it, and it'll take you to a link. It'll give you all the information you need on it. Uh, these, these are really terrific studies and a great way for you to connect, get to know people here at church. Uh, so if you're looking for something that's a little less intimidating, something a little small, jump in on one of these because we've got a whole bunch of different options. The second thing that I'm really excited about that we are launching here at our campus for the first time this year is Adventure Club. If you have been a part of our church for a long time, you know that Adventure Club is the name of our ministry to young kids and families. Uh, and it's a chance just for kids first through fifth grade to come in, hear a Bible story, play some games together, have a great time. Uh, it's also a great time for parents to get a little bit of a break and uh, go and maybe do a date night together. Uh, but this is really close to my heart because when we launched our church here, uh, we were not oblivious to the fact that right across the street is a school. Uh, and I strongly believe that this church was created not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our neighbors. God has called us as his people to love and serve our neighbors, and our neighbor is an elementary school. So we want to be a church that loves and cares for kids. Not least of all because our kids represent the future of this church, amen? So we will all one day go to be with Jesus, and it will be our children that continue to lead the kingdom work here in our area. So uh, if you want to be a part of serving at Adventure Club, if you want to be a part of... Uh, praying for Adventure Club, or if you have kids that would love to get involved, please come chat to us. We'd love to tell you more about this. Uh, it's going to be starting on October 10th, so we got some time. We'll be talking about this for a couple of weeks. Uh, but just this summer, we saw uh, at our VBS over 200 uh, different people come in through VBS, about 50 kids and then families on top of that. And so this is a huge opportunity for us to church to love and serve our neighbors and to pour and invest into our kids, of whom Jesus speaks very highly. So it's going to be a great uh, opportunity to do that. One last thing that I wanted to highlight uh, is starting this coming Saturday is an event called The Doubter's Guide to Jesus. Uh, I am really excited about this one. This is going to be led by Dr. John Dixon, a professor from Wheaton and the host of the podcast Undeceptions. He is a really uh, a treasure to our church, an incredibly intelligent, gifted communicator, preacher, pastor, uh, and he is going to be leading a seminar for four weeks, talking about different reasons why we can have faith, we can have confidence in who Jesus is. This is the perfect event to bring some along, someone along if they have questions about Jesus, if they have doubts. If you have been following Jesus for a while and you still have your own questions that you wrestle with, I, I like to think that as a pastor I'll be able to help you and shepherd you, but I'm absolutely going to confess, John Dixon is better at it than me. Uh, he's really world-class, and this is what he does. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of those people in my life who have the biggest struggles with Jesus and the message of Jesus, and I'm going to be inviting them along to this. 
Uh, it's going to be a great time. Just an hour long, uh, you get to sit and hear from Dr. John, and then there'll be an open question and answer time where you can ask any question you want. Again, I'm glad I'm not the one that's going to have to answer those questions because hopefully there'll be a lot of tough ones that come in. But John Dixon will answer those with incredible uh, skill and, and uh, talent. So uh, please do consider if you want to come along or if you've got a friend you can invite, it's going to be great. Hosted at our Kesslinger campus in Geneva, which is a bit of a drive if you're on this side of 88. But it's going to be a great event and we'd love to fill that up. Hey, well, I'd love to invite you now to stand with me to worship our great God. Uh, as I said at the, at the beginning, it's good to be, get, to be together in God's house with his people. Uh, God is in this place with us this morning. This is not just us gathering and looking towards an idea. It's to us gathering together to be in the presence of the one who is risen and is here with us. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father God, thank you for this chance to gather as your people. God, we know that you delight in your people and in your church and you are in this place with us this morning God, we pray that your spirit would be felt, that our hearts would be warmed, that our eyes would see you, our ears would hear your voice, God, and that you would change us and grow us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We worship by coming to the Lord in prayer now. And I just wanted to, I always like to take this time for us as a church to pause because prayer is as much a part of worship as singing is. And so it's coming and confessing to the Lord that we need him and that he's good and that he can meet those needs. Uh, one thing that we're going to be praying for in this next week for our church, and have been praying for for a long time, is a potential worship candidate to become our new worship leader. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that Eric and Stetson both do a beautiful job in, in carrying us and leading us, and we're grateful for you guys. Uh, but both of them actually have other full-time jobs. And so they've, they've given out of the generosity of their heart to help lead us and encourage us. And so we've been looking for someone, uh, and they're going to be coming in this next week uh, as part of that process of kind of investigating both on our end and theirs. And so we'd love to invite you as a church family to be praying for that, for God's leading and wisdom, uh, that he would lead us to the right person. Um, but also want to take this time as a church family to as well bring things before the Lord where you are. Uh, it's easy for me to stand up here and lead us in a prayer of some kind, but I, I hope that, that you see this time as an opportunity for you to bring your heart before the Lord, the things that bring you anxiety, the things that you have need for, the cares that you have. Let me read this from Philippians 4. This is Paul writing to the church and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I just want to invite you right now. We're just going to take a few seconds just to be quiet before the Lord. And as we do this as a family, I want you to think of those things that are bringing anxiety to you right now those things that weigh heavily on you. This is your time as a part of Christ's body to bring those concerns before the Lord. To not be anxious in anything, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And I'll close this out here in a few seconds of prayer. So if you will, just join me in a moment as the band plays and let those things be known to God. Bring those things to mind that are on your heart. And the Lord who is risen and in this place with us will hear. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this place this morning, this moment in our lives where we can pause and we can turn our eyes towards you. 
we can direct ourselves towards the one who gives every good gift, who gives wisdom to those who ask, who brings healing to those who call on him, who brings comfort to those in need. Father, we gather here to remind ourselves of those truths, but also to bring ourselves before you, to be in the presence of your spirit. Father, as your people lift up their concerns, their anxieties, and their burdens to you, Father, I pray this morning you would meet with us and you would remind us of who you are. And Father, that as we call on you, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would care for us, that you would provide for us, that you would lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a, it's been a long time since I've sung that song. I love that song. It's a good reminder, as Stetson just prayed, why we're here. If you don't know me, I'm, I'm Jeff Frazier. I serve as the lead pastor of Chapel Street Church, and it's just great to be with all of you. Uh, we, we at Chapel Street call ourselves a family of neighborhood churches, so you're, we're part of the family. And uh, Andrew is obviously here, <laughs> so, and I, I say this every time, but it's worth repeating. I love Andrew. We love each other. It's great to serve together and uh, prepare together. And I'm here not just, be, just to give him a break and because it's part of the rhythm of how we do things here at Chapel Street. Uh, in fact, I was just at the South Street campus, so I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at South Street. <laughs> I know and, uh, that Stetson just prayed, but let's, let's pray again. Once more, Lord, we bow before you. Uh, we've been singing your praises and acknowledging who you are through song, and now, now we ask you to speak to us through your word. We, we long to hear from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're, uh, we're digging into a series. We're in the uh, third week of a series called um, Pathway to Purpose. If you've not been with us, this, the whole point of this series is to uncover our purpose as the church. Collectively, God's, God's church, the body of Christ in the world. And our part in that, uh, you know, North Aurora, Chapel Street Church, we're just a part of God's uh, church in the world. But what is, what is his purpose for his people in the world? And then your individual part in the body of Christ here, what does that look like? That's what we mean by pathway to purpose. So week one was the church as a whole, uh, God's people in the world. And then last week, this week, and next week is digging into your part by way of talking about these six G's. Pathway to purpose, these six G's. You'll see this, oct- this hexagon. I call it an octagon. It's not. It's a hexagon. Got to get my math right. Uh, these six G's, they're, they're not unique to us. They're, they're profoundly biblical. You find them in the New Testament. Other churches have done something similar. But it's our attempt to describe the life that God has called us to live. So don't think of these as things God wants from you. Obligations, checklists. They're what God wants for you. The life he's called you into. So you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know that he loves you, he's forgiven your sin, and and that he's uh, secured your eternity, and now you enter into a kind of life that he's working with you to live. And this represented by these six G's. That's what we're after here. They're not boxes to check. That'd be a mistake to think, okay, good, I'm in a group. Check the box. That's not the idea. They're not ways to earn God's favor. You already have that in Christ. They're, they're not um, a to, to-do list for God, like do this because uh, God wants you to. They're the life God's called you to live. We've got to live some kind of life, so when you come to faith in Jesus, this is the life. 
represented by these six G's. I think the greatest discovery in life, in all of life, is when you come, whatever age, whether you're six years old in, in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, which we had here this summer, or when you're 40 years old, whatever age, when you come to discover that God made you in his image, that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you to forgive your sin, that he desperately wants a relationship with you, and that he doesn't leave you alone, but he comes into your life by his Holy Spirit to work with you. That's just overwhelming. And sometimes church people, I don't know how many of you consider yourself church people, but if you've been in the church a long time, we start to drift from that. We take it for granted. And it's good to be reminded that the greatest discovery in life is that God loves us, that he died for us, that he wants a relationship with us, that he has something for us, that he doesn't, it's not just over once we pray some prayer. In fact, that's just the beginning of the life he has for us. Last week, we covered the, six, the, the two Gs of why we gather as God's people corporately for worship, which we're doing right now. Why we pray together, worship together, sing his praises. Why, why does that matter? Why has the church always done that? And then what's the point of the gospel? Meaning, not just what it means, but why we share it in the world. Why we promote it with our lives, communicate it to those that God's placed us around. You can't go into all the world. Jesus said go into all the world. Not everyone can go into every corner of the world. But you can go into your neighborhood, your part of the world, and make the gospel known there. This week, we're examining two more Gs, and they're intentionally placed together. Groups and grow. You'll see them here on the screen. We have little statements for each of these Gs. I'll read them for you. You can follow along. As followers of Jesus, we know we cannot live the Christian life on our own. We make it a priority to connect in groups in order to encourage one another and to pray for one another as we seek Christ together. It's a simple statement, but it's profoundly true. Grow. As followers of Jesus, we understand that God wants each of us to grow spiritually. We know the primary way we grow in our relationship with him is through scripture and prayer. Now these two G's are put together for a reason. They're, they're, in, they're inextricably linked in the New Testament. Personal spiritual growth and community groups go together. One needs the other. One feeds the other. They're so closely linked. I think we tend, I tend, we probably tend, to overcomplicate the spiritual life to over-mystify it. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's not that complicated. The truth is, it's not that complicated or mystical. Here's the first thing I want you to jot down. God wants you to grow. That, and that might sound elementary to you, or uh, like you know, that's obvious, but it's profoundly true. God is for you, and he has more for you. He wants you to grow. This is crucial for us. So maybe the question is, are you growing up or are you just growing old? I came from the South Street campus. Before that service, I talked to a good friend of mine named John. He turns 80 next week. And he says, I, you know, I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'm getting older. <laughs> well, that's true for every one of us. And you cannot avoid it. But the question is, are you growing up spiritually or are you just growing old? God wants you to grow. God is for you. His purpose is for you to grow in him. In fact, he is working for that purpose in your life. Parents, those of you that are moms and dads, we say things like, I wish I could freeze time, right? How many of you have ever said that? I see how you're with your boys right there. I'm sure you have felt that, right? I wish I could stop, freeze time. I don't want them to grow up. 
I wish I could snapshot this moment and keep my child at this stage because it's so sweet. It's so good. And, and if we're honest, sometimes we're like, I wish you'd grow out of this. I'm like, you get past this, right? But, but the truth is, every good mother and father, though we want to emotionally want to stop time and, and keep them there, deep, deeper in our hearts, we want our kids to grow. We want them to flourish. We have three children, my wife and I. They're two out of the house. One's in the period of, in the stage of launching. And we delight in their adulthood. We, of course, we pine for the days and they're all at home and, and under our roof. But we want them to grow up. We want them to flourish, to find their identity in Christ and to become you know, adults. And, and that's as a delight to every parent. That's just a fraction of what God the Father feels for you if you're his son or his daughter. He wants you to grow. He, he delights in your growth. He's for you and working for you in that way. And that's crucial for us to understand. We come to Christ as we are, but we don't stay as we were. Praise God, that's true. We say things around here like, it's okay not to be okay. And that's true, it is. But it's not okay to stay that way. God wants more for you. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. Those of you that know the New Testament... You'll know that this is a passage where Paul's describing the spiritual gifts that God gives to his people for the, 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 the church for growth, but it has a profound little implication for us in spiritual growth. Look at verses 12 through 15 of Ephesians 4. Two, this is the, the gifts that he gives, equip the saints, by the way, saints refers to who? Who are the saints? No, 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 the super Christians, right? No, every one of you, if you belong to Jesus, you're, you're, you're included here, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Let me pause there. This is a little extra for free. Andrew's job, my job, is not to do the ministry. It's to equip you to do it. Like to equip the saints, the people of God, for the work that God has called us to do as his body. For the building of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity, knowledge, and for what purpose? So we may no longer be children, right? Little kids, tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. The mark of childhood is like you're easily distracted. Squirrel, new idea, new thought, new concept. Like we can't focus. We're all over the map. Maturity means we're anchored in the truth. Here's what he says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, read it with me. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Grow up. And growing up means we're no longer tossed around. We're no longer so easily distracted or led astray or, 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 or drifting off course. We're rooted in the truth of God's word and the knowledge of, of his love for us in Christ. Notice what he says. We attain maturity. The, the Greek word there for maturity is teleos. It means to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, Paul says in Galatians 4.19 that he's in the pains of childbirth. He says, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. First of all, I think, well, how would Paul know about the pains of childbirth? He's a guy. But the point is, he's saying, I long for you to be formed in the image of Christ. That's the goal. So there's something happening in us. We're being formed. James 1.4 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be complete, lacking nothing. And have you there yet? Anybody here complete, lacking nothing? Show of hands. <laughs> Philippians 1.6 some of you will know this verse by heart he who began a good work in you when did he begin that good work in you? 
When did Christ begin the good work in you? The moment you trusted him, the moment you were discovered that the great discovery of, the, of life, right? That he loves you, that he died for you. Then he, that, that is not the end of the spiritual life, it's the beginning. Your sin's forgiven, your eternity's secure, and now the good work begins in you. And we're told he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, none of us will reach maturity, lacking nothing, completeness, fullness, until we see him, either when he returns or when we die to go be with him, whichever comes first. But that doesn't mean we don't have growing to do between... The, the mistake we often make is to think, okay, yeah, someday he'll fix it all, and I'm just muddling through till then. That is not the Christian life. He forgives you, he redeems you, he calls you, he loves you, and now begins the work in your heart and in the world, which is carried on into eternity, but doesn't wait till then. Do you understand? Look at what Paul says, or what Peter says in 2 Peter verses 3, chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, uh, sort of, he's saying, this is the, he lists a whole lot of ways not to live, and then he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like he sums it up. Don't live this way, but grow. Continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and to the day of eternity. Now and to the day of eternity. Amen. But grow. The New Testament is clear that spiritual growth does not mean new ideas, innovations, clever things, mystical insights, secret knowledge. I find this all the time. People will say, well, I want deeper teaching in the church. And oftentimes when I talk to them, what they mean by deeper teaching is something I've never heard before. Okay, with all due respect, most of you do not need something you've never heard before. What you need is what you've heard many times before to get it from here into here. Like to live out what you already know intellectually. To let that translate into your life. The New Testament, this doesn't mean there aren't new, new ideas and new knowledge. Of course there is. But the point of the New Testament is that spiritual maturity is not something new. It's living out the sacred ancient truth passed down from generation to generation in every aspect of our lives. That's what we're after. To know Jesus Christ and his gospel. Grow in the grace and knowledge. How do you grow in the knowledge of God? I mean, I don't know. How, how would that happen? How would anybody grow in the knowledge of God? I mean, I, I mean <laughs> what possibly could God have given us that, I mean, if, I, if there was something, if there was some way, some tangible thing I could, oh, wait. We grow in the knowledge of God, in the grace of God through his word. That's how we know who he is. Like the primary tools he's given us is scripture and prayer. Talk to him and hear from him in his word. It's, again, it's not really that complicated. I remember years ago baptizing a man who was one week away from his 81st birthday. Right after COVID, our outdoor service at our Kessler campus, he was 81 years old, almost 81 years old. And after he came out of the tank, he was all wet, and he gave me a big hug, and he said, Pastor Jeff, please pray for me that I'll continue to grow in Christ as long as he lets me live. What a great prayer, 81 years old. It does not matter your biological age. What matters is that God has more for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever stage of life you are in. I, frankly, I know some very mature 15-year-olds in our church who are, who are grounded in Scripture, who know the gospel, and I know some very immature 70-year-olds. Present company, of course, excluded. You're all very mature. 
Okay, so God wants you to grow. Second thing, growth requires effort. Growth requires effort. We're not passive objects in this process of growth. We're not just waiting around for God to change us. We have a part to play. You have a part to play in your own personal spiritual growth. Salvation is 100% Christ's work. You can't forgive your own sin. You can't redeem your own life. When you're brought from death to life, from darkness to light, into new life and salvation, that is Jesus does that on the cross. That's start and finish, it's him. But once that happens to you, for you, then he invites you into a life in which you have a very important part to play. You have some work to do. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Peter's letter here, the first eight verses are just really profound. I think he highlights this brilliantly for us. Simeon Peter, uh, it means Simon, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Pause there. Peter, say, Peter, Peter this is Peter, the rock, Peter, one of the 12. He says, your faith is the same as mine, same standing as mine. On what basis can he say that? How many of you think, well, I, you know, I, I'm the same as Peter? He's in the New Testament. On what basis? The righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, your standing before God is the same as the Apostle Peter's because of the righteousness of Christ. That's salvation, right? That, 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 Jesus does that. Maybe you think, well, no, I'm like a lesser saint. No such thing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no hierarchy there. He says, to you who have obtained the same standing that I have by the grace of Christ, his righteousness, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, look what he says. His, who's his, Christ, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Verse 3. In other words, maybe a different translation, you have everything you need to grow in Christ. You lack nothing. No resources. There's nothing you need that you don't already have in Christ to grow into the person he's made you to be. By which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. If you like to highlight or underline, if I had the board, I'd be circling stuff here. So if you'd like to do that in your Bible, get out your pen, highlight the word power and promises. He's given you his power and he's given you his promises. And because of his power and his promises, you don't lack anything to grow into the man or woman he's made you to be. So that through them you become partakers. That's a good alliteration, right? Power promises partakers. Think about that. Partakers in the divine nature. You have a share in the divine nature of God in Christ. What does that mean? It means you're not, you're not trying to attain some standard that's impossible. He's given you his power and his promises and a share in his nature. So this life he's called you to is possible by his power and through his promises. So that through them, you become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, I don't know, pause there for a minute. I don't know what that phrase does to you or your heart. It should thrill you. It should give you security and hope and confidence and remind you that, oh, I'm not left on my own. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Like, one step forward, two steps back in the spiritual life. Like I'm, I'm trying, but I'm just, I'm, I struggle with the same things. I'm not really growing. 
But Peter is saying, if you belong to Jesus, you have the same standing before him that I have because of his righteousness. And he's given you his power. And he's made you his promises, which are sure. And you have a share in his nature. For this reason, look what's next. For this very reason. What reason? What reason? I know you don't normally answer out loud to the pastor, but you know, I'm visiting today, right? Humor me. What reason? Yes, come on, brother. Right, exactly right. He gave us his power, his promises, and the share of the divine nature. Like, because of all that we have, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and increasing, that phrase, and increasing, is crucial, it means growing, it's not stagnant. They keep you from being ineffective and unfru- or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that last verse, verse 8, if they're yours and increasing, if you continue to grow in Christ, that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive or unfruitful, which means, by implication, you can be ineffective and unfruitful in your relationship with Christ. Friends, I, I would suggest, again, President Company excluded, that the American church is full of ineffective and unproductive or unfruitful Christians. They're saved, but they're not growing. They're not making a difference. They're not fruitful and productive and effective in their faith. Let that not be us. Because we have everything we need. He's already given it to us. His power, his promises, his presence, a share in his divine nature. So then he says, make every effort. In other words, you could translate that, so get to work. You've got work to do. And you're not on your own doing it. He's doing it with you. In fact, he invites you into that. The Greek word there, spaude, means with earnestness and zeal and diligence. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. You can do this. Not God's giving you everything you need, so just let go and let God but God's given you everything you need, all things. So get to work with him. We don't have time to go through this list, but the list he gives us here is, is progressive. Virtue means moral perfection. So when you, when you live with a increasing moral perfection, when you live vir- a virtuous, a morally upright life, that um, helps you understand the knowledge of God. Because the knowledge of God is not academic, it's experiential. When you live God's way, you understand him more, you grow in knowledge. And when you grow in knowledge of God, that'll help you be more self-controlled because you realize in your knowledge of God, he's in control, you aren't. Your sense of control was a myth to begin with, it's not real, right? And then as you grow in self-control, that helps you be steadfast, persevere, endure when trials come. Because your ability to control is based on your knowledge of who God is. And your self-control then leads you to steadfastness and to godliness, meaning a, a life of deeper devotion is what godliness means, to Christ. And brotherly affection, that's the word Philadelphia. Brotherly love, kindness toward your brother and sister. And then the, the, that word love there is the word agape, all leading to the self-sacrificing love of Christ. You see how the progression there, Right? That my trying to live morally upright lives help me understand who God is, and that helps me be self-controlled and persevere and endure and love my brothers and sisters, which all teaches me about the love of Christ, agape love. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For if these are ours and increasing, we'll be fruitful. We'll make a difference. 
I love that. That's crucial for us. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, verse 12. I've loved this verse for years, but it's a bit of a puzzle when you first read it. And I wish I had put 13 on here, but I'll tell it to you. It's in the Bible, even on the screen. (laughs) Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So Paul says, I want you to what? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now the next verse, which is not listed, is, some of you know it, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You might think, well, which is it, Paul? Do we work it out, or do you work in us? Paul's answer? Yes. 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 I have accomplished your salvation. Now you work it out into every area of your life. Notice what Paul does not say. Work for your salvation. That cannot be done. Christ does that. But now that he has done that, work that reality out into every area of your life. Go back to what Peter said in, in, second, in second Peter chapter 1, right? Adding to your faith, meaning, well, you don't have to, but thank you for doing that, right? Adding to your faith these qualities, meaning take God's promise. God is sovereign in control. Now apply that to your, your obsessive need to control everything, right? God has forgiven you. Now apply that to your inability to forgive yourself for past sins. God uh, has set you free. Now apply that to the area where you feel in bondage. God, though you don't deserve it, counts you beloved. Now apply that to the person that you just despise. Right? Work out your salvation into every how you look at other people, how you function in the workplace, how you function at home. I'm not saying this to you as somebody who's worked it all out. I'm still working out. Right? We all are. But that's what he's saying. Spiritual growth. It's easy to assume that this is all personal, private, individual. You and Jesus working it out. That's not biblical. It's American, but it's not biblical. We grow best in groups. The last point. We grow best in groups. I'll put it as simply as I can. You will not become the man or woman God designed you to be on your own. You won't. It might surprise you to know that most Christians in America struggle with this concept. Maybe it won't surprise you. Uh, The Barner Research Group did a a comprehensive study of sort of the American understanding of their faith. And this is one aspect of it, but this is is one slide from a whole host of slides which tell us that almost 65% of American Christians think their faith is private and they can follow Christ on their own. They don't need other believers. This one I just wanted to highlight for you. This statement, friends should challenge each other to grow in healthy ways. Those who strongly agree. Only 33% of all Christians think that's true. Less than half of those who are in discipleship communities think that's true. Which makes me think, what are they doing in discipleship communities? Half of them think that's not true. We have a deficiency in American Christianity. The early Christians would have scratched their head at this. It would have made no sense to them. A couple of references from the book of Acts. Acts 2.46, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Day by day, attending the temple together, that's the corporate gathering. Remember there's 5,000 added in a day to their number? Talk about administrative programmatic challenges. They had to meet on the temple court, the steps of the Solomon's porch, the back of the temple, because they didn't have any room for them all. And from house to house breaking bread in their homes. 
So large group gathering and small groups in homes. And every day in the temple and from house to house, the same thing, large group gatherings and small groups in homes. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is how they lived. They gathered and they were in groups. But that's not how we've been conditioned to live in America. You, you, may, you may be nodding, oh, I agree with this intellectually, but we live in a culture that is telling you you, you, you are all you need. Uh, isolated individualism. Oh, oh, yeah, you have Facebook friends. I forgot about those. And they really help you. And you have lots of likes and followers, or, or you don't, and you feel bad about it, whatever the case, right? That, that, that's not what you need. It's pseudo-community. And I'm not saying there aren't those who can watch online and grow that. God uses technology. But it's a, it's, it's a, it's a supplement, not a replacement for face-to-face community with other believers. Here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. Now, right before this, he says, we have access to enter a new and living way, opened by the, by the tearing of the curtain, by the blood of Jesus. Like We have access to God in Christ. And one of the immediate results of that access is this. Let us consider how to, spur, to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Two one another's in there. Two of 33 one another's in Scripture. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Stand with one another. Comfort one another. You cannot do one another's with just one. You need another to have one another, right? You can't do it in isolation. It's not possible. And these are not suggestions from God. They're commands in Scripture. We're commanded to one another, one another. Does that make sense? And you can't do that by yourself. This combination of spiritual growth and the need for Christian community and groups is essential for the Christian life. You can't, you can't uh, bifurcate these things or extract them from one another. They're deeply interconnected. In a minute, I'm going to share with you a quote, but um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. And in his book, Life Together, Life Together was written out of his experience of, of leading an under... Do you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, anybody? Right? So he was, he was martyred in the Nazi Germany for an attempt on Hitler's life. Uh, he was a, a, a remarkably brilliant young man, uh, died in the Buchenwald prison um, just, just two weeks before the Allies liberated that, that prison camp. But anyway... Um, he lived uh, a, a remarkable life. In, in the early in, to mid-1930s, when Nazism was growing, he recognized that the, the Nazi regime under Hitler was taking over the church. They were all non-Aryan pastors were being kicked out of the church. They were establishing a state church that was uh, pro- promoting sort of Nazi propaganda. And he felt this deep conviction that we need to train pastors who are faithful to the gospel, who will be able to care for people when, this, when Nazism falls. But it was illegal. So he started an underground seminary on the Finkenwald River. They called themselves the Finkenwaldians. They lived together. And out of that experience, he wrote this book, Life Together, about the, the reality and the power of Christian community. Um, one of his friends, Wilhelm Niesel, said, you know, uh, Dietrich, this is, uh, this is extreme. You're going to get in trouble for this. You're going to get arrested for this. Like, you can, you can do this without having to be, like, hidden away as such a, an extreme uh, case of discipleship and community. And he went to visit Dietrich to sort of talk him out of this. They're both Christians. And Dietrich took him for a, a boat ride, a, like a rowboat ride, um, and up this river, a, a place uh, called the, um, I forget, the Odor Sound. 
And then they would climb this little hill. And as they approached the top of the hill, way in the distance, there was a camp for, for the Hitler Youth, training uh, young men to be Nazis, indoctrinating them, discipling them, quite literally. They're marching in formation and they're doing this. And Bonhoeffer pointed to that and he said, our formation must be stronger than theirs. They are discipling people for a kingdom of brutality and wickedness and evil. And we have to be at least as committed to the, to the message of Christ, to the call of the gospel, or we're going to lose. Not, not the nation, but the heart of the gospel. And I think one of the, I struggle with this, one of the, the lies we believe in comfortable suburban America is that it's not that big a deal, that the stakes aren't that high. They are. Friends, they are. We're kidding ourselves. God has redeemed you and forgiven you and loves you and invited you to grow in him, and he's given you each other to grow. We miss out if we don't understand that. Let me read to you the excerpt. Years ago, Pastor Brian said, Jeff, stop using such long quotes because nobody can follow them. But I never really listened to him, so here's a long quote. <laughs> it's a long quote, but try to follow along. I think it's profound. Let him who cannot be aware alone beware of community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself, for God has singled you out. What that means is you don't become a Christian because your mom and dad are, because your grandparents were, because you attended church or everybody else was. You must meet Christ on your own and repent of your sin and trust him personally. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you, and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. If you don't have an authentic, genuine, individual, personal, growing relationship with Christ, you have nothing to offer the Christian community. You're a parasite. Now, that doesn't mean if you're here exploring Jesus, what just happened there? Ooh, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that doesn't mean if you're here exploring Christ and you're growing, that you're welcome, grow. But at some point, you must meet him. You individually. But I love this next phrase. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not a community beware of being alone. Into the community you were called. The call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross, you struggle, you pray. You are not alone, even in death. And on the last day, you'll be only one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? If you scorn the fellowship, you reject the call of Jesus Christ. And thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. It is not as though one preceded the other. Both begin at the same time. Namely, with the call of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are Christians here, and you know you are, what he's saying is when you answer the call of Christ to for, to, to, for the forgiveness of your sin, to trust him, two things are true. One, you enter into a personal relationship with him and you enter into a community of faith to help you grow and for you to help others grow. You, you can't pull those apart, though we try to in America. They're connected, deeply connected. Last passage and then we'll close. We were in 2 Peter 1. I want to just look at this passage in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15. I love this passage. I've loved it for years. It was shared with me years ago when I was a, a college student. What Peter says, Therefore, 
I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What a great friend Peter must have been to have. How many of you have ever thought at some point in your life, well, who am I to tell them that? Well, I know, but they already know this, and I don't have my act together, and I'm not sure that they would listen to me anyway. Anybody ever thought that? Peter says, look, I know you know this. Look, I don't know all of you that well, but I know some of you, and I like most of you most of the time. Right? <laughs> but Peter says, look, I don't care about any of that. I, whether you know this or not, even if, you, even if you're way smarter and more theologically educated and more mature than I am, I am never going to stop reminding you of these things, even though you know them. Read the book of Deuteronomy. We have a whole book of the Bible. You know what the word means? Second law. Not that it's a new law, it's a repetition of the first law. Why? Why was it needed to be repeated in the whole book of the Bible? Anybody know? Because we forget. We are forgetful people. We need to be stirred up by way of reminder. We need other believers in our lives to be the voice of God in our lives to say, let me remind you of who you are in Christ. Let me remind you that you're forgiven and free. Let me remind you that God is in control. Peter says, I'm not going to shut up about this, ever. I know that I'm going to die soon. God's made that clear. But as long as I have breath, I'm going to keep telling you what you already know. That's, I think, one of the best encouragements to you, to us. You need people in your life who will keep telling you what you already know. And you need to keep telling other people what they already know. Let me just ask you this as we close. How many of you have ever been stirred up by way of reminder by somebody in your life? Anybody? Show of hands. Nobody? That's, that's it? Like, less than half of you? Have ever, have ever had a Christian in your life tell you something that intellectually you already knew, but you needed to hear it again? And it challenged you, and it helped you, and it encouraged you. Every one of us, if we're honest. I'm going to just flip it now. Who in your life needs to be stirred up by way of reminder? Who needs a word of reminder from you? Just, just, you might think, oh, yeah, but they, I, they already know. Yeah, but that's our job. My job is not to come up with new ideas. It's to keep telling you things that have, already, that have been here around for 2,000 and, and plus years. That's Andrew's job. So that it will get in from here down to here and into our lives. And that will never happen in isolation. We need, and it won't happen once a week in a church service or twice a month, however often you come, right? It happens in community with other believers who know us and who love us and can stir us up and we can do the same. Praise God that he does that in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance just to dig into your word a bit and for these really... They're, they're elementary, but they're such, so important truths for us that you desire us to grow. You're for us, and you want us to grow, to grow up in you. You do not leave us alone. And that growth requires some effort from us. We're not passive agents. We're, we're partnering with you. We're cooperating with the work of your spirit in our own lives. And even more, God, to do that in the lives of others. You've given us one another to help us to grow into the men and women and the body of Christ that you designed us to be and that this world needs. We thank you for your power and your promises. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that everything we need, we already have in you. 
We give you all the praise and glory. I want to thank you for joining us for Watch Day. I hope you've been encouraged. hope that you have been, remi- been reminded of those ancient truths that Christ has come for you. He loves you. He's given himself for you. And he's called you to come after him and walk with him. If there's any way that we can help you, as Jeff mentioned, our job as a church is to help enable you to walk in the life that God's called you to. So if you're looking to get more connected in groups, we have men's team groups, we have women's Bible studies, we have life groups, rooted groups. And if you don't know about those or the groups that you know of, they're not a good time for you, don't let that be a reason that you don't step into them. Come and talk to me. We will find a way for you to get connected, to bless you, to encourage you, and to put you in community that can help you grow in your faith. As always, if there's anything we can pray for you, please come let us know. We have a prayer room available in teams that would love to pray with you. But now let me leave you with the benediction from Hebrews 10 that says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. The day is near, and it's in his name that we go. Amen. God bless you guys.